but it turns out that that doesn't actually work unless you just get really good at hiring. But man, is it hard to hire when you don't know what the jobs are and you don't know how to evaluate who really knows their stuff because you don't know yourself. So you end up hiring people that really aren't that great, you know, and you end up having to fire them six months later because you're like, what exactly were you doing? None of this stuff actually makes any sense, you know, but I haven't been really looking at it because I'm too busy to really look at it. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Scott Royal Smith. Scott, are you ready to rock? <laughs> hey, Andrew, great to be here, brother. I am ready to rock, roll, and share everything I got to know. I was going to try to do my rolling R's with your name. And in Thai language, we have a rolling R sound. So Royal Smith is how I'm going to refer to you. (laughs) I think it works, man. I might pick that up full time. There you go. All right. Well, let me tell the audience a bit about you. I know a bit about you because I've listened to you on the podcast, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire, and have also read some of the stuff that you've done, but let me tell the audience. So Scott Royal Smith, Esquire, founder and CEO of Royal Legal Solutions, prides himself on successfully conveying the essentials in asset protection to audiences nationwide. And ladies and gentlemen, he does it very well. In fact, I'll include a link in the show notes to the episode that he did with John Lee Dumas because I thought that was very, very well done. Now, Scott is no stranger to high stakes litigation and has spent his career deconstructing asset protection structures and developing strategies that serve both to protect what you own as well as leverage your income and maximize your tax savings. With experience in entrepreneurship, starting several successful companies and owning real estate in 10 states in America, Scott pulls from his experience as a lawyer to put a new and valuable perspective on business ownership. And for the listeners out there, I think what you're going to like is the way he brings legal together with his experience in entrepreneurship. No one wants to get sued, but if you plan to start a business, the question isn't if, but when. Scott is the attorney who will have your back. He's smart, savvy, and he's got a great sense of humor, which we're going to test you on. (laughs) And he has a gift for simplifying the complex. So, Scott, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, so I guess what's important about me is I I bought my first piece of real estate, uh, which is a transmission and auto repair shop while I was in law school. And it's during my second year. So it was actually, we were running an active business. We were rehabbing a piece of property. And this is while I'm doing a full class load all at the same time. So that was pretty crazy start to my life, which never really ended. I think I've always really enjoyed being having lots to do and lots to think about. And if you guys are like me, you know, like there's nothing worse than being bored. You know, being bored is, is the worst thing that could possibly happen and not having things to do absolutely drives me bonkers. So I'm somebody that's really got to always be on the go with it. And after I, I graduated from law school, I took a job doing litigation, suing insurance companies that don't pay pay claims because come to find out that's actually how insurance companies work as a business, that they accept premiums and collect them and and then regularly deny coverage, especially whenever it gets expensive. 
And I didn't think much about it at the time. I was just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm just going to continue on doing my real estate investing as I normally do. And then eventually I decided I want to leave litigation. So I, I started going to all the meetup groups that were local here to Austin, Texas. And come to find out that nobody knew how to do everything else that was part of real estate investing besides finding the deals. They'd taken the guru classes. They'd gone out there. They bought all these assets in their personal name. And I was trying to tell them, I said, oh my God, guys, this is, this is really bad the way you guys are doing it. Like you need to be using LLC structures, series LLC structures. You'd be using anonymity trust to hide your ownership. You need to be consolidating everything into one bank account using one set of accounting books. That way you can make sure to simplify your life as much as you can. And those are all things I teach about at Royal Legal Solutions since we help real estate investors all over the country. But I've been doing this for about eight years now. We're a team of about 30. And I haven't learned nearly as much in the rest of my life as I've probably learned in the last stint here of Royal Legal Solutions because that's really what business has really come to me has really been this crucible of learning, you know, where dollars are how you keep score about how well can you do the things that you know you should be doing. And that the most difficult stuff is usually not knowing the answer. It's actually just doing it. And I don't know if that makes sense to a lot of people because a lot of people always tell me like, well, if I just knew the right thing to do, then I would go do it. And my experience has been, I was like, yeah, that's really true to a certain level. And then the complexities of life and who you are and what make you up as a person and what your teams are and who do you have with you really redefine. It doesn't matter how much you know at some points. It's actually just what's possible. It's interesting. I just watched this documentary about General Magic, the company, the Silicon Valley startup many years ago that was kind of the precursor to what Apple did with the you know, with the Apple iPhone and all that. And it was just a a group of brilliant people with brilliant ideas and a happy environment, but they just couldn't figure out how to make it into an operating business that made money. And it's what I think a lot of people, you know, what a lot of people kind of disregard. We look at entrepreneurs and we look at business people when they're successful, but the hard thing really, particularly in small businesses, you know, trying to come up with your ideas about what it is you're bringing to the market, trying to reach the market, trying to iterate those ideas. It's extremely hard. And if you are not serving the market, you are, you don't have a business. And that's the ultimate beauty of capitalism is the struggle of the entrepreneur to bring together the resources, the ideas, the people, the processes that actually create profit. And if you can do it, then you have a business. And if you can't do it, you just have an idea. So I love that. Well, yeah. no, I mean, that's exactly what it is, right? I mean, and that's why I like the difference is, is, you know, one of the first things that I learned, and it took me actually a long time to get my mind wrapped around this was how powerful it was to hire agencies to be able to offload things off to, right? Because even though I could figure it out better with my own custom solution, if I had all the time and then I could actually you know, get all the personnel, actually make sure the personnel are all going to like stay consistent too with it. I was like, no, as like, let somebody else's problem about how they're going to make all of the people work. I'll hire an agency to go do that piece of the puzzle after I can get pretty well defined. Now that doesn't mean all agencies are made equal. They're just like everything else, right? Like 10% or 5% of them are good and the rest 
are not so great, right? That's just kind of across the board with just about everything I find out in the world these days. But that's one of the things that we, we set out to do with Royal Legal Solutions is to actually become that agency for people that are saying, okay, how can I offload all of the legal tax and all the other headaches? I just want to do my business, have my real estate, and then offload all the concerns. And that's kind of where the thinking is, where we're at with like as a company right now, where we're looking at, okay, how can we think about the big ideas of creating financial freedom for people, time freedom, all of the entity structuring, their legacy planning with their wills and trusts and all of that, and how's it all underneath one roof for them. Mm. And for people that are under 22 million in net worth, right? Yep. But I would say the number one thing to do that I wish I would have started doing earlier was getting really good understandings of the problem set of what we're running into as a business and then immediately trying to find agencies that could fill that problem set in a way that made sense that, was, that were at least 90% of what I wanted. If I would have just done that, I probably would have saved myself about a quarter million dollars. And the time. I mean, the other part is the time that we struggle trying to create a system or a solution to something that somebody else already has out there. So I think it's, uh, right. it's great, great advice, particularly for the listeners who are starting their business and all that. Remember, always look at and answer the question, is this my highest value activity that I'm doing? And try to maximize the time that you're spending on your highest value activity, you know, value added activity. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And I feel like we may have gotten a little touch of it. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, so, you know, really like my story goes into it is, is, is really about just wanting to start to help people, right? And that's where I started getting into originally going to meetup groups to be able to help you know, those entrepreneurs, you know, that are real estate investors, some of them had W2 jobs and stuff like that too, right? But if you're a real estate investor, you're really an entrepreneur. And what it was, was, is being able to help people with things that I had already figured out, right? That I already spent the time to figure it out. I had to read all the books for myself and then I just started to teach and do it for others. And I happened to be an attorney from going to law school. So I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like this is, this people really want this stuff. And I mean, hell, this is a hell of a lot better than going into an office every day. So I'll go ahead and start doing this. And I started doing podcasting along with that. And then pretty soon I had a really rapidly growing business. It was growing ferociously rapidly and way beyond what I understood you know, or maybe even still understand to tell you the truth. I, I actually never really know anymore because I don't know how much I don't know. And I'm, I've always been so surprised of how little I really know, but, <laughs> but I'm going to call that growth because, because at least now I'm aware of how little I know when before I was pretty confident that I knew just about everything and that whatever I touched would turn to gold. And all that does is just take some really swift kicks in the teeth to be able to make you not feel that way anymore. But it won't, you won't know it until you're there, right? So, so a, lot of, a lot of what I've learned has actually come through building you know, Royal Legal. I had that transmission auto repair shop that I did during law school. You know, we did that so poorly. I mean, we put, in, we put the active business in an LLC, but we had the property in our personal name. We had some insurance on there, but it wasn't much. I mean, like at any moment, something could have gone wrong and we would all been bankrupt. We were like, heck, we're law students. We actually have negative net worth. Like what's the worst that can happen to us, right? 
which was really bad thinking, right? Because we could have just avoided the problems of it happening and not had something horrible come result. And nothing did actually. We ended up, it actually ended up being a great investment at the end of the day. We just did it really juvenilely, you know, because. And luck um, was on your side. And luck was on our side, you know, luck was on our side with, with it. So it ended up coming to be okay. But here with Royal Legal, one thing I found out is that like, is growing a really fast business when you don't actually have the knowledge of what to do with all of that really meant that you're not going to be a good custodian of it, right? Because you're going to be moving. When what we did is that I ended up moving quickly to be able to solve problems that I didn't really fully understand and were trusting people I really didn't know because there were too many things for me to solve. And there was no easy out. Hiring coaches, only half helpful. Most coaches were retarded. I mean, I don't know if I can say that, but like they don't really understand because they've never been in that position, right? Or they would be like, hey, man, it's going to be over the next 18 months. We'll go ahead and we'll get this thing figured out. I'm like, hell, man, I got problems today and I got big problems today. Or I got to say, I'm not going to take in more customers, you know? which would be the other thing I could have done, right? So now I'm only going to take in so many customers and then I'm just going to really do a slow thing. But, but I wanted to go big, you know, and I wanted to go through it. And the problem with going that fast though is you just learn the lessons anyway along the way. Just the dollars that you lose and you make mistakes with are just a lot bigger, right? But there's no fast tracking the learning time you just end up working a lot more. <laughs> so that's probably what I would have gone back and told myself, which was turn down all of the money, slow everything way down, don't make as much money as you could otherwise, right? Because I thought that's what it was all about. It's like, oh, we'll just build in the revenue. Things will be a little crazy, but we'll figure it all out. But it turns out that that doesn't actually work unless you just get really good at hiring. But man, is it hard to hire when you don't know what the jobs are and you don't know how to evaluate who really knows their stuff because you don't know yourself. So you end up hiring people that really aren't that great, you know, and you end up having to fire them six months later because you're like, what exactly were you doing? None of this stuff actually makes any sense, you know, but I haven't been really looking at it because I'm too busy to really look at it, you know. I don't know if it was really helpful. I felt like I just went on a, a ginormous diet. No, that's diet great. Let stuff. me ask you. I mean, I relate to a lot of it because I've set up a few businesses and have been through the struggles. And the first question I have is from an emotional perspective, when would you say was the bottom where you're like, I, I, this is overwhelming or I'm just not doing this right or I've got to rethink this or I've got to slow it down. Like, Yeah. You know, I've probably hit like a few bottoms because I've been really stubborn about like how quickly and how much I think I can know. Right. So that's not to say we're not growing as a company. We do phenomenally well. Right. Mm. Like by all objective measures, we're a great company. Right. And we grow faster than like what's on pace. It's just not even close to how I want to go, though, and how hard that I push for us to grow. And that's just probably because I'm stubborn and about being, you know, wanting more, always insatiable mm. about always wanting more and wanting to be better and wanting to how to get it to a better level. Right. So the problems that come with that, so the, the good parts that come with that is that you have, we have the fastest growing, probably the fastest growing law firm in the country, definitely the fastest online law firm, because there's probably only a couple of those maybe in the entire country, right? 
And we've done some amazing stuff along the way. Mm. The flip side of that, though, is pushing that hard into a new frontier as quickly as we were growing as fast and always going with, with that kind of speed is that you fail a lot. And every time you fail, it is like getting kicked in the teeth and the bollocks all at the same time. Mm. And then it, it bottoms you out. And then you're like, God, you got to regroup and then you got to go after it again, you know, yeah. into yeah. what it is. And that's a rough life. It's a really rough life. And I don't recommend it. Have you ever had a day, a weekend, a moment where you've just felt like completely, you know, a low point, let's say, emotionally, like sure. that moment, take us to that yeah. moment? No, I mean, I actually cycle through those about once every three months. So I work in sprints where I work really hard for about three months. And then usually about 70% of the stuff that I worked really hard to build doesn't work out. So we end up building a lot. A lot of it doesn't actually work. The stuff that does is really good, but then I'm usually spent. And then me being spent is actually like, oh, I'm emotionally depleted. I have to go really focus on gym stuff, get back into my routines and then like rebuild, right? I'm trying to get better at that, to like be more consistent, to not have like a cyclical burn rate because I just don't think that's a healthy way of living long-term really. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to get better at that, but okay. I'm pretty, pretty cyclical in that. Yeah. I'm going to ask you the next question in just a moment, but I will highlight one thing about that cyclical nature is that I'm also, I go into these intense times of hyper-focus and during those intense time, and I, I wake up about four in the morning and then I start working and I'll work for, you know, three to five hours and then I'm exhausted. And then, you know, at nighttime, you know, I'm very exhausted. And then the next morning I'll get up and I'll just throw myself into this intensity. And of course, I fuel it with coffee and other, you know, and tea and whatever else. But I put all that intensity in there and, and I go up and down quite a bit. And my business partner in my finance business, a Thai man, he and I have known each other for 20 years. And what I've always admired about him is that he's what I call steady Eddie. He does not yeah. go through peaks and troughs in that way. And what I found was that one of the key things to my success has been having the people around me who are not cyclical like me or volatile in that sense, who are much more steady. And that, that's definitely helped me a lot to deal with it. But let's get into the next question, which is what lessons have you learned from your experience? And I, I really want to bring it down to a young man or woman out there who's listening, who is either, you know, they've just started their business, they've got good prospects, they've got good ideas. In fact, they probably have way more ideas than they have the bandwidth to implement. And they're just about to dive into what you've just been through. What lessons did you learn from your experience? Well, the first thing I would do if I were them is I would just delay my launch by like three more months <laughs> than they're planning on it right now. And in that three months, what I would do is I would go to all of those like $15,000, $30,000 courses that exist that walk people through like how to create membership bases for their websites, how to do package selling and how to present your pricing to people, how to do all the validation along the way. What do your sales funnels need to look like? What are the, 
all of those pieces, right? They're really expensive courses, but for small amounts of money, they'll usually let you take like a trial run for a week where you could just tunnel into it and then like get as much of that info out of their training courses as you possibly can. Because it took me years to build it, only find out that I just only had to take a training course on it because I didn't even know it existed. Like, so one of those ones that we're looking at right now is salesprocess.io that I just got access into their piece. And I was like, and then the guy was giving me the $50,000 a year pitch about what he was going to do for me or whatever. But he's like, honestly, I don't even think you need all this stuff because you already have it all basically together. You just need to hook up a few more things. And then, you know, you really, you really have it. And I was like, well, thanks. It only took me three years of trial and error, you know, to be able to get to this point. I wish I would have just taken a class and like with that and learned it. So that's what I would recommend is like, just go delay, get a good framework first and then get after it. It's interesting that, you know, let me summarize, you know, what I'm taking away from your story and then we can continue on with the discussion. The first thing that's interesting is that, you know, starting a business and running a business, there's so many things that are pretty standard. You know, you got your sales, you got your marketing, you got your human resource, you got customers, you have billing, you have accounting, you have all this stuff. It's surprising that we don't have an app for that. For how to do everything? Yeah. Like, I mean, literally, you know, fill in this stuff and there's your product, you know, marketing stuff and fill in this. And when you bill your customer, you use this template, you know, or whatever. Yeah, no, there could be, right? The thing I run into, Andrew, is that there's actually, there's not the problem with marketing is that there's not good marketing ideas out there. The problem with marketing is that there's a million marketing ideas out there and all of them seem to work for different people in different circumstances. So it's hard to know like which one do I fit into. Now come to find out over extremes amounts of trial and error into it, I can tell you that there's a couple of ways that you can do it that are extremely repeatable. Now like I could take in and be like, you could throw me into any product set and I could be like, oh, here's how we build a a $5 million annual revenue business after mm. this. And this is like the set. This is the set of how the, all of these pieces need to lump together for the way that market conditions exist right now. Mm. Right. For how, like what I, my understanding is into that, right. At least to that level of net worth. But right. I think the one thing I keep running into is that like the people that advise me right into what to do, the reason that the most coaches are worthless is because they don't, I don't know how to describe it, but like when I know, like when I see the right idea, the right idea comes to me, I can feel it. And I'm like, this is actually the right track that we need to go down. This is actually it. But I can't tell you why. Mm. And I couldn't debate you on the different pieces of it, but I can know it when I see it. And I'd be like, that's it. That's what we're going for. Right. Mm. And that's the problem that I have with all the coaches. A lot of times I could tell them whatever I'm doing. And I could convince them that whatever I'm doing is the hundred percent of the right thing to be doing because there's nothing I'm actually saying that's wrong, right? right? They're all, it's all technically correct, even though it's going to a lot of times get me to the wrong outcome. And that's why I fired so many coaches along the way. Because also they haven't broken through the next plateau that you're trying to, you know, break through and get to the next level. The other thing that it made me think about is something, you know, you talked about being, you know, confidence and, and all of that. And I thought about, you know, you said you learn what you don't know. I often tell my students in my classes, I said, if you leave my class, let's say my class on valuation, if you leave my class feeling less confident, then I have successfully done my job. 
Yeah, that's probably right. And I, I think mean, the that, things that get you is, is being overconfident almost yeah. all the time. It's yeah. because you don't even ask the questions, right? Yeah. That goes into it. And that's where I've always gotten bit. The worst part is though, is when you can ask the right questions and all the people around you don't want to ask the questions. And then you say, holy smokes, now I got to pull everybody else by the ears to ask questions that they don't want to ask, mm. you know? Yep. So welcome to being a leader, right? I mean, that's the, like the, one of the hardest things yep. of this yep. whole gig, yep. you know, into it. But I think you're right. Yep. Being able to ask the right questions is extremely important. The other thing that I take away is just the idea of slow down. Yeah. You know, and just slow down, I wherever think that, you're at, slow yeah, down, slow down, <laughs> take it easy because chances are, if you are like Scott, you are a person with a lot of ideas. You want to get there. You want to go big places. You want to go there fast. But sometimes you got to go there slowly to be able to maintain your position there. It's no good right. to get there but not be able to hold that position relative to your competitors and satisfying your customers. So I think that a big lesson I get out of that is the lesson of slowdown. So that's great. Yeah. Well, Based on what you've learned from this story that you've told about your development in developing your business and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Keeping in mind that young man or woman out there who is on the entrepreneurial path, running very fast with a lot of ideas, what one piece of advice would you give them? I would find somebody who is like you, right? So if you're like a hard charging, big idea, high energy, want to go there quick, you'd find like Scott and you'd say, Hey Scott, I won't be able to do this for anybody, but you would try to find somebody that's like me, right? That says, Hey, they got like a company that's worth one to $5 million of annual revenue. And then you would try to persuade that person by offering them some type of value that you can bring to their life to help mentor you into what to do. Because the deal is, is that there's a thousand ways to be able to build a business that's worth a one to five million in annual revenue, right? The problem is, is you. Because nobody can know how you are gonna build a $5 million business, right? So what you do is you try to find you later on in life or later on, and then that person will be able to tell you, here's all the ways you're going to screw it up. And you're going to think this way about that thing, and you're totally wrong. <laughs> it's not like that at all, because they've already gone through it all once. So try to find you later in life, and ask that person a bunch of questions about what you should be doing. Find your future you. This reminds me of a great book called Go For No. It's one of the best sales books you'll probably ever listen to on audiobook or read. And it basically is the story of a salesman who fell and hit his head. And 10 years later, he met his future him. I won't oh, give yeah. away any more of it. It's very easy, but it'll be, it can be one of the most impactful sales books you could ever read. Go for no. Mm. It's something like yes is the destination, but no is how you get there. So yeah. that's great. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're approaching somebody to say, I've found that future me, and I want to talk to them, what value can I add to their life? How about saying, look, I would like to interview you once a week for an hour. I'll come to your office and I'll sit down and I'll write everything that you say, I'll record it, 
and I'm going to summarize it and I'm going to post it as a blog post of what I learned from you. And it could help that person codify, you know, what their thinking is and what they've learned. So maybe that's one of many different ideas to do what Scott said about bring some value to their life. So, all right, now, so the audience understands what you're charged up about. My last question is, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is to work on, you know, how can I create more sustainability with my life to, for like just my mental, physical, spiritual well-being into it, right? And the way that I think that we do that as a company, the way that works for me is actually building in more habits. And it's like, what are the habits and routines that I need to build into my day to say that here's the things that I have to do because they prioritize Scott first. And then what are the things that like I'm going to do or I choose to do after that, that are all the company related things instead of having them reverse where the company comes before everything else. So if I could do one thing, it would be creating the routines, habits to be able to effectively achieve that. Right now, I'm not Good. so great at it, I don't think, because like yeah. company stuff always comes first because that's the whirlwind, yep. you yep. know? I'm good at habits, and I've studied a lot about habits and read all the great books on it, and I would give a tip to the audience about habits. Something that I do is um, I'm an avid coffee drinker, and every morning I get up and I turn on my espresso machine, and I make a cup of coffee, and that is a habit, and it's a habit that I do every day. And it happens to be a beautiful, glorious habit too. And what I do is I decide what is my number one most important habit that I want to build into my day. And then I stack that habit with my coffee. So there's two habits that I have stacked with my coffee. The first one is that I, I chant my mantra of the type of person that I want to become. I want to be healthy, wealthy, and attractive. And I've written that out in, in careful detail, thought about it, and I chant that 10 times each morning with my cup of coffee. The second thing I want to do is I want to exercise every day before 7 a.m. And I set that also in my chant. And so I, I have it stacked that with my coffee and I get out of the house in most cases. Now this morning, since I had an early morning interview, I basically did my exercise in my room, but basically I usually get out and walk. But the point is, Take an existing habit that you have and attach it, attach the habit that you want to get with that habit and piggyback on what you already have because you have a habit structure. So that would be my advice for the audience. All right. Any, any thoughts about that on habits? Yeah, no, it's pretty great. I, I just know that I'm going to become one of these like super weird old dudes now because like I've started to do that with a lot of stuff. So I'm like, doing gratitude like while I'm brushing my teeth and like just a bunch of like stuff that I know in like 25 years that my kids are going to be like why are you so weird and I'm going to turn around and be like you don't know how hard it is to be me <laughs> <laughs> well one of the things I say in my mantra is I say all my words are positive and I repeat yeah. that 10 times every morning all my words are positive and yes people nowadays and in my life have said you know I never hear you gossip about other people. And I say, that's because I repeat that mantra. So some of these habits will build great strength in us. So when we are those old men, they will say, well, he's got some good things too. So, well, listeners, 
There you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources, resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Scott, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers and also you know, revealing the struggles that you personally face in your own business. But our listeners are learning to win as a result. I also want to congratulate you because 99% of the people I ask to come on the show say no. And you are one of the brave ones that has taken your worst investment ever and turned it into your best teaching moment. And I tip my hat to you. Do you have any parting words to the audience? No, just thank you uh, for the opportunity to come on and, and share today. And uh, if anybody is interested of the stuff that we're building at Royal Legal to be, you know, create, helping people create time freedom, financial freedom, and personal fulfillment, all using the most advanced legal and technical skills for tax and all kinds of solutions for real estate investors, just head over to royallegalsolutions.com and check us out. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes so you don't have to write it down. Just go to the show notes and... We'll see it there. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.